what the some of the best founders actually do is they're really great storytellers. Um, because I invest seed at this time, there's very little data points in terms of what you analyze when you make an investment decision, because a lot of time what you're betting on is team. And so Thrill, super thrilled to announce that today's episode is brought to you by an incredible sponsor, Akshat Jain. So he's a fantastic resource for those of you who are interested in the world of venture capital and business. And Akshat is a student who talks about the venture capital sector and shares his insights and perspectives on LinkedIn. His articles are an absolute delight for anyone looking to understand the ever-evolving landscape of VC, startups, and business innovation. He covers everything from explaining basic terms to talking about the future of VC. So you can connect with Akshat on LinkedIn to stay up to date with the latest trends and insights in venture capital and business. And you can find him at... Akshat Jain, just by searching up Akshat Jain on LinkedIn, and I'll also drop the link to his handles in the show notes. So take the next steps in your business journey. Invest in your future by investing your time in Akshat's insightful content. And now, without further ado, let's jump right back into the podcast episode. Welcome to the podcast. So today we're joined by a super amazing guest who's called Juan Abandas and he's worked with some of these phenomenal venture funds like BTV, Soma Capital. And so Juan, like what did that experience of being at BTV and Soma Capital, like what did that teach you about yourself and also about the VC industry as a whole, like we know VC industry is like quite a difficult industry to break into. So how did you firstly like break into the industry and like what did you learn about yourself as you broke into the industry and you started to learn more and more about the industry? Yeah, um, I can share a little bit about that. So when I first broke into the VC industry, my background was slightly different than most. Uh, I spent a few years as a scientist worked at, working at Johnson & Johnson and later Genentech, um, focusing on influenza oncology research. So it didn't come from like the traditional background that most VCs look for. Uh, so when I, when, I, when I first started my career over at Soma Capital, it was slightly different where uh, we, were, we were investing in a number of high volume companies. And so I had to learn things very quickly because we were a small team um, we had to uh, we had to do a little bit of everything. So we focused on investing plus portfolio company support. And at the time, we were also fundraising. So I learned quickly. Anil was a huge mentor to me. Um, but what I found was uh, when you work in VC, it's very much a mentorship game. So there's people that you kind of lean for to kind of help you in terms of what you're looking for, what you're lo- hoping to learn. And then on top of that, it's, very much uh learning you're learning a lot of stuff on your own uh so you're always reading you're always listening to podcasts you're always leaning on people for help uh and then little by little you start doing things on your own um yeah i think i think that's pretty much what i was learning at the beginning So just curious, like, how did you find your first mentor in the VC space and coming from a non-traditional background? Like, what advice do you have for someone out there who's aspiring to be a VC and comes from also a non-traditional background? Like, how could they break into the industry or like, what insights do you have for them? Yeah, so one of my first mentors was actually Dixon Dahl, the co-founder of DCM. Um, and actually, the way I got connected with him was actually one of my professors at, at uni connected me with him. 
Um, I actually didn't know what VC was at the time. I had no idea that this industry existed. Um, and then when I got connected with him, I kind of got exposed to this number of great founders and ideas that people were building. And you got you essentially just got sucked in. Um, and then the way I did it was uh, I initially just started helping out for free. Uh, I kind of just was donating my time, helping, helping, helping him like uh, navigate the sea of pitches and founders, help managing his angel portfolio and stuff. And then over time, I started building more and more relationships in the ecosystem. So building part, building relationships with partners out of the funds, uh, associates and analysts out of the funds as well. And then little by little, you kind of build up your network. And then after some time, that's kind of what I leaned on to um, land uh, my first full-time role in VC. Um, but it, it essentially, when you come in cold with no relationships, it just takes time. Um, you're, you first be founders, founders sometimes connect you to other VCs that they're working with. Uh, then little by little, even other VCs start connecting with founders and other, and other investors in the ecosystem. Um, so when you come in, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a grind just meeting people. Uh, but it's very relationship based. It's, it's, you start meeting a lot of interesting people over time. So I'm curious, like, how did you build your relationship and how did you start working with Shield and Better Tomorrow Ventures? Like, What's the secret sauce to building relationships and networks in the VC space, given that it's like a very closed off industry and, you know, you need to know the who's who in the industry and stuff like that? Yeah, what I found, uh, honestly, I wish I had a great strategy here. But what I found is I just share a lot of interesting companies with investors. And that's how I started building relationships with some of the other VCs. Um and the reason for that is like what VCs usually look for is is deal flow. And a lot of times what they look for is essentially differentiated deal flow. And I thought I had that for some time. And so as I started meeting and networking with more and more people, I started sharing a lot of these companies I was seeing, sharing insights into the ways I thought about them. And then little by little started meeting more and more people um, because a lot of people thought I, I had a really good flow. Um, on top of that, like as I started making more and more investments, a lot of these investments ended up doing well, really well. So over some time, a lot of people also kind of started seeing like what I was investing in and kind of wanted to co-invest alongside me as well. Um, and then with that, it's not just sharing deal flow at this point, but also like helping some of these investors also gain access and win allocation to some of these deals as well. Um, with with Jake and Shiel, when I when I joined Better Tomorrow Ventures. Um, uh, the way I met them is a friend and another VC fund actually connected us. Uh, the Better Tomorrow guys, Better Tomorrow Ventures guys were raised, were had just closed off the first fund, which is a seventy-five million dollar fund one. Uh, and I kind of came in to kind of help deploy that. Uh, we invested in a number of great companies in that fund. The guys did extremely well. Uh, as a founder, if you ever have the ability to take money from Better Tomorrow Ventures, by far you should take the money. One of the most helpful VCs out there in the ecosystem. Yeah, and Sheila is also one of the nicest VCs I've come across on X, and he's doing a really good job. And so, yeah, so I'd actually interviewed one of the BTV portfolio founders, and they found out about me through the, this podcast that I'd done with Sheila. And so, yeah, we talked a bit about YC valuations as well, which is something I want to touch on like further further along in the podcast. So my next question is, so deal flow is very coveted in, D, in VC. So, like, how did you attract deal flow as an investor like what made you attract all this like good and differentiated deal flow than say like some of your competitors or some of your peers in the industry yeah, yeah. so 
in the ecosystem, what I found was um, because I write smaller checks, I'm a bit more collaborative than other VC funds. So a lot of times, because I'm writing these small 100K to a couple hundred K checks, it's, I have the ability to kind of co-invest alongside people. And so when I when I invest in the founder, there's always room to kind of co-invest alongside me. Um, but the way I found your financial deal flow, honestly, it's it's more um, uh, it's a little different than some other people because I slightly have a slight data advantage in terms of how I source deal flow. But on top of that, um, the best deal flow still comes from just networking with other VCs. So, uh, so as you continue to meet people, everyone starts sharing deal flow. Uh, but what ends up happening is sometimes these other VCs don't have access to that network. And so as you start meeting these companies, you share those, it seems like you have differentiated deal flow, but over time you kind of realize it's, it's almost like a commodity because a lot of people see a lot of the same great things. Um, but it's really like figuring out which of those companies are the ones that are really great and really worth spending more time on. So then following up from that, so like the companies that are really great. So while you were at some of these funds like Better Tomorrow Ventures and Soma Capital, you probably met with tons of founders. So what made some of the companies you invested in stand out and which were some of the really great pitches that you heard while at some of these VC funds and also now like maybe through your own co-investments or like whatever that you're doing on the side as well. Like what could you share from that front? Yeah, so what I found that really stands out, or actually what the, some of the best founders actually do is they're really great storytellers. Um, because I invest seed at this time, there's very little data points in terms of what you analyze when you make an investment decision, because a lot of time what you're betting on is team. And so what you, what you end up, what ends up happening is as you start spending more time with these founders, um, they tear the idea and the vision that they have. Uh, and that's how you essentially like, fall in love with the founder and what they're building. Um, and those those founders, as mentioned, are usually the best storytellers. They have a clear idea of what they're building. They have a clear roadmap in terms of how they're going to get to where they're going. Uh, and then they usually have some early indication of traction, which is, which is usually like some form of early customers, uh, some form of early investors, um, an MVP that might be going extremely well, uh, but then once they reach the Series A, that's when they actually have a few more data points. That's when you're analyzing an actual business because at this point they have revenue, they have metrics, they have customers. But at the seed stage, it's very much just focusing on the founders, the story that they're building, and if they have a clear roadmap in terms of how they get to where they want to go. For sure. And so my next question is more like now, like drilling down so you're on the VC side, so you've seen a lot of pitches. And so what are some of the tips you have for founders about the fundraising process in general? And do you see a rebound in like the number of startups that are going to be uh, funded in the future and also in the present now? Yeah, so um, the advice I have for founders is just to be prepared once they go out and fundraise. And once you have momentum, really leverage that to increase momentum and kind of like continue conversations with investors and and close them and kind of like raise your seed round or your round, whatever round you're raising. Um, because as investors, as you speak to investors, you're going to ask for a number of things. You're going to have all these conversations and you have to be really responsive in terms of what investors are asking for and what you're building um, because you want to essentially like 
be on top of everything. And again, be responsive, use the momentum, kind of keep going, and then and then use that to kind of close an amazing round. Um, in terms of valuation, there has been a slight rebound, I think. Um, over the last year, VCs have been a little less active um, and valuations have definitely come down from 2021. What you're seeing though is valuations have sometimes, or some founders are still in this thought process where if they have a little bit of traction, they can still raise at ex- like very high multiples for their, their fundraising round. Um, but there's other founders where they realize that uh, that they that the essentially like the landscape has changed and they've become a little bit more realistic in terms of valuations that they're raising now. Um, and so what you're seeing now in the sea of fundraising is you have some founders that are raising a high valuations and some that are raising a more realistic relations. What ends up happening is I see some founders that go out and raise at like these high valuations and then a few weeks later come back and lower their cap. But at that point, it's it's slightly it's slightly less exciting to look at it when you come back at a lower cap because um, it, I come I come to the realization that maybe some of these founders have these unrealistic expectations for the rounds, um, and at that point, uh, it's a bit harder to get excited than I was in the beginning. Um, so when you go out and as a founder, when you go out and fundraise, make sure you you have a realistic valuation that you're raising on. Um, make sure to use the momentum you have to continue fundraising and close the round, uh, and always be prepared for what you're, for, for whenever you speak to investors. So I think just to recap for the audience, you have to have a realistic valuation. You have to build on that momentum and you have to really be prepared. So my, my next question is more like on that topic of valuations. And I know you help out with YC. So there's a lot of chatter here and there about YC and the valuation. So what are some of your views on this kind of YC valuations? And like, what could you share for the audience of how they can be better better prepared if they're a YC founder? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just finished looking at the, the YC summer 2023 batch. Um, and it was probably like the one of the most impressive batches in terms of founder quality. Uh, that were going through the batch. Um, what I found though was, uh, and I think whoever looks at Twitter probably realized, probably saw that there was a lot of noise around how high valuations were this time around, um, and and they were pretty high. You you're likely not going to find a company raising under a 15 million post money cap, um, but the reason for that is because right now with uh, with YC's. Um, uh, MFN, what ends up happening is a lot of these founders don't just take your money. They end up taking like they end up taking YC's uh, extra money, extra like three hundred and seventy-five thousand, I think it is now. Uh, and so once they take your money, the first, the next check is they essentially dilute themselves a little bit more, and that also kind of helped increase valuations. Um, so what I found was valuations for founders when they were they had a little bit of traction, maybe maybe very few customers, but a number of LOIs, they're raising between fifteen and twenty million plus money cap. If they had a little bit of revenue, which is in the thousands, they were potentially raising within like the 20, 20 million post money cap. But then what we found was any founder that had maybe like 100,000 in revenue plus, they were raising at, at 30 million or above in terms of valuation. Um, for here, though, what ends up happening is even though a lot of people were complaining about YC valuations, all these rounds were getting done. As you speak to some of these founders, what we found was what I found was 
essentially a lot of them had raised a decent amount of capital, anywhere from 1 million to 2 million, sometimes even 3 million at some of these valuations. And so there was still a lot of capital being deployed into some of these YC companies. Um, but, uh, and there's a lot of, what I think is helpful with YC though, and it slightly offsets some of these high valuations is the, the great job that YC does in supporting these founders. Um, as a founder, once you enter YC, I think you have access to to three key things that kind of help accelerate things for you. One is the access to the 4,000 plus for YC's portfolio companies that you have access to for custom acquisition partnerships uh, and everything else. So you're able to kind of scale a lot quicker. Uh, secondly is once you join YC, it's you're also working closely with these, um, with a number of founders that are, uh, how can I say, it's a little bit um, uh, like the expectations are very high and everyone's very highly motivated. So during this, like this few weeks, that you're in the batch, you're 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 executing on customers, you're fundraising, you're doing all these things, and you're probably getting a lot more work done during those few weeks than you would do without YC. Um, and then lastly, it's just like access to capital. So uh, a lot of investors have to look at YC because of the number of companies that come out and do really well. Um, and so you're essentially able to raise your round probably a lot faster than you would if it wasn't for YC. Um, and I think that kind of helps offset valuations a little bit. I do wish they were slightly lower, but also understand kind of like some of the nuances in terms of the capital that they take in and some of the challenges they have once they go into YC. That was an extremely fascinating discussion about YC. And I know there's this a lot of debate going on about YC vs. Neo, which I'm not sure we'll get into today. But uh, so let's wrap it up with your candid thoughts on LATAM. Like, are you bullish on the region? Like, what are some of these companies that you're looking at in LATAM? And like, what could you share about the region in general for those in the audience that may not be familiar about LATAM? Yeah. Yeah. So so over the years, I've done extremely well investing in LATAM, having invested in companies like Clara, 99 Minutos, Inventa, uh r2 capital capital and a few others um honestly it's it's one of the best regions to spend your time in right now um over the last few years is or sorry over the last year there's been a decent pullback in terms of growth capital um you know because like the largest investors at the time were essentially like tiger global softbank and some of these other ones um but as they started pulling out from the region um there's there's been a few players that kind of come in and help fill that gap but the number of quality of companies there are extremely well. They're growing really fast. They're uh, they're accustomed to building in harsh conditions. So what 2021 has been, or sorry, since what the last year has been for founders in the U.S. and maybe other regions, that's essentially how LATAM has been for founders over the last few years. Um, so they so they know how to work in these difficult environments. They know how hard fundraising is. They knew that the expectations are always a little bit higher for them. Um, but what I like about LATAM is now you're starting to see like the three things that I think make the ecosystem really important important in the region. So um, now a lot of these founders have access to customers, which is amazing because now they don't have to go to U.S. and find essentially the next set of customers. Now they can just focus on LATAM. And so here, just from having from being in the region, they can get access to some of these customers and essentially grow and become a one one billion dollar company, kind of like what you saw with New Bank. Um, the second thing that you see is 
But now there's access to a lot of capital in the region as well. As you have some of these funds like Kazakh, LVP, Monashis, uh, and a few others, they have access to not just that capital at the early stages like seed, but also now at the Series A, Series B, and Series C rounds. Um, and then lastly, it's also like this geographical, exp geographical expansion into some of these companies where like a lot of these companies in the past were focusing in, say, like Mexico. Uh, but what they found is there's a lot of similarities as you expand to companies like Colombia, Argentina, and a few others. And so they're able to kind of expand quickly into some of these regions and, and essentially grow really quickly at that point. Um, and so uh, what I think about LATAM is when you look at it, it's very much how U.S. was a few years ago. And you're quickly seeing a number of really great companies coming out there and they're growing faster than they were historically over the last few years, where a number of companies are becoming billion dollar companies. Uh, in under five years, uh, there's a lot of capital, not just from LATAM, but also U.S. investors that want access to the region. Um, and then a lot of this geographical expansion into other countries has also helped accelerate a lot of this momentum for some of these companies as well. For sure. And I'm also really bullish on LATAM. I just got exposed to the region actually coincidentally through my podcast and so yeah, I'm pretty excited about what's going on in the region. And that's why I'm always curious to talk to more people in NATAM and learn more from the people on the ground and the people who are investing in the region and how the region can be a better, like better supported as well by the key stakeholders at play. So yeah, it was an absolute pleasure and an honor to host you on the podcast today. And so do share how the audience can get in touch with you, like pitch you, like now's the stage to share about like anything or promote anything that you want. Yeah, um, honestly, I'm very easy to get access to. Uh, just message me on LinkedIn. Um, and I think that's usually the best way to get access to me. And then I usually follow up within a day or so. I try to be very responsive and then always looking to meet interesting founders, investors, and a few other friends that are hoping to connect and learn more about VC or just share deal flow and exciting opportunities. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, I have an open opportunity to reach this audience. So if you want to reach college students and freshers interested in startups and venture capital, and just in terms of the demographics, the age of 18 to 22 is the highest age demographic in India and US are the two largest country demographics of listeners for this podcast. Email me at bizpodruhi at gmail.com. So thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode and hope you've learned something new.